Hello, everyone. I'm Al Grego, and this is the season finale of Yes, We Are Open podcast. Back in Charlottetown, PEI. This story actually takes place the day before my visit to Stryker's Den. As I had mentioned in that episode, today was a beautiful, warm, sunny day, perfect for my drive from Nova Scotia. You never would have known that there was a once Category 5 hurricane on its way. The interview I'm going to this evening was originally scheduled for tomorrow, but that's when the storm was supposed to hit the island, so I made arrangements to do it today, thinking I'll probably be spending tomorrow locked up in my hotel room waiting out the storm. That's not what happened, as you may have heard from my episode two weeks ago. It feels like Hurricane Lee, or at least a threat of it, has been chasing me all over eastern Canada during this trip. Thankfully, it never caught me, and it never will. I was so concerned that my flight back to Toronto was going to be delayed, but it wasn't. It departed on time and even landed 20 minutes early in Toronto. But back to this story. Since I arrived in Charlottetown, the weather has begun to turn. The wind is picking up, and it's beginning to drizzle. I've arrived at the Charlottetown Event Grounds, where they're holding the Prince Edward Island International Shellfish Festival an annual showcase of PEI shellfish and agricultural products. I'm very excited to witness this. I was afraid they were going to cancel due to the impending storm, but I was assured the festival was still a go. When I arrived at the event grounds, I saw the massive tent under which the entire festival was taking place. Now, the sight of the tent and the news of the impending storm didn't make me feel any more optimistic. But once I was inside the tent, I actually felt quite sheltered. The din of activity was beginning to pick up, It's expected that 10,000 people will attend the festival over the four days. I walked into the massive tent. On one side, there are bleachers set up around a kitchen stadium where world-renowned chefs are currently whipping up their best seafood plates. All right, so we'll head back on uh, Chef Michael, who's frantically working. Working at the back. Chef now is here. I'm going to get out of her way. This is part of the Garland Canada International Chef Challenge. It's quite the production. On the opposite end of the tent is a huge stage where various bands will play throughout the day into the evening. They'll also hold a Caesar-making and oyster-shucking competition, PEI Potato Chowder Championship, and much, much more. Between the stage and the kitchen stadium are rows and rows of tables where thousands of visitors will sit, eat, drink, and enjoy the music. There's a raw oyster bar, a bar for alcohol, and a culinary pavilion. It's all so much to take in. I can't wait to get started. But first, I need to buy shellfish bucks. No money is accepted at any of the various vendors. Only shellfish bucks in the form of a card that you load when you first enter the tent at one of several kiosks. Those kiosks all have Monero's POSs connected to them. And that brings me to why I'm actually here. The business that's operating this payment system. And the subject of this week's story, Maritime Fund Group. After sampling some of the delicious food at the festival, I prime myself away from the tent, back to the offices at the event grounds, to meet up with Matthew. And he and I settle in one of the offices for our interview. Matthew Jelly, President, Maritime Fund Group. When did Maritime Fund Group open? Kind of started in 1999 when my brothers and I partnered with the owner of another amusement park to purchase the Magic Mountain Water Park in Moncton, New Brunswick. He had owned the Sandspit in Cavendish and the Sandspit Amusement Park in Parley Beach, New Brunswick. And we were looking kind of as a way to describe the organization, even though they were all kind of separate companies, a bit of an umbrella. And, mm-hmm. and the concept of Maritime Fund Group uh, came about 
And then uh, by 2005, uh, when I made this a full-time career, you know, the Maritime Fund Group kind of became more solidified as an organization. So one day you just wake up in, in the morning and say, I'm going to buy an amusement park? I mean, what's your background? My paternal grandparents were actually a school teacher and a nurse or a principal and a nurse. And, you know, that education and learning aspect has always been a big part of who we were growing up and our parents as school teachers you know, really emphasized us learning and, and going after our education and that. And my oldest brother's in investment banking, my next brother's an engineer, I'm a lawyer, and then my youngest brother has a business degree. So, I mean... All of you guys are underachievers. We, we have multidisciplinary <laughs> approach. You know, Monopoly games were pretty competitive oh, in I our bet. house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to the point that it was kind of hard to find people on the outside to play with us. But, you know, camping, amusement parks, all of that were big parts of our childhood and our, you know, many of our best memories and even road trips to Disney World. And yes, road trip, we drove. It was about three weeks. Week to drive down, a week in Florida and a week home in the summer of 1988 or so. And then we went again in the winter for the Canada Games in 1991. But those memories as a family and that time together, I mean, my parents did a far better job than I'll ever do of, of the time we spent together. Yeah, so started out uh, with a small afternoon paper route uh, in Summerside, and uh, my brothers all had that paper route as well. Uh, we took some of our paper route money and bought some trailers. Our, we parents were school teachers. We camped seasonally in Cavendish. We uh, pooled our money together uh, and purchased some used trailers, rented them out, and then uh, that ultimately became the money that we used to buy a water park in 1999. How old were you? <laughs> I would have been 20, uh, 20 going on 21 at the time. And just finished my third year of university. Uh, two of my brothers are a little older, one a little younger. Took a number of presentations to the banks, but uh, we got a deal done. And, and ultimately, by that time, we each had a number of years of experience in the industry, and we were well positioned to be the buyer uh, for the business. I was going to ask you, did you have any previous experience working at a park? Yeah, well, I started in 1990, a very simple role at the Sandspit Amusement Park handing out putters and uh, by my third day I'd been operating a cash register and so by 1999 I actually had nine seasons of experience uh, doing that and uh, my brothers were all in a similar situation. That water park they bought was Magic Mountain in New Brunswick but Matthew and his brothers weren't done. It was like they began that childhood game of Monopoly only now it was in real life and they were on the same team. Your partnership with your three brothers, right? Three brothers and then uh, longtime business partner, Adam, uh, who does a lot of our technology work. And then, um, you know, in our realm of companies, we have the original owner of the Sandspit is still a minority partner in, in our Shining Waters Family Fun Park. Otherwise, it's uh, a first generation family business when we talk about it as a whole group. And, uh, you know, really neat to have the chance to work with my three brothers. I became a member of the Law Society. I got called to the bar. Um, I actually thought I was moving to Vancouver to join a tax law firm. And Parks Canada purchased uh, Rainbow Valley in the center of Cavendish, announced they were closing it. And the chance presented itself with my brothers, with our business partner, uh, you know, Larry and Beverly. 
to build a brand new park, Shining Waters Family Fun Park. And so on October 17th, 2005, we broke ground. And on July 1st, 2006, we opened a 37-acre family fun park, which was a crazy construction project. And I wish I could get as much done now in eight months as I did that year. But, you know, it was my sole focus and, and I did. I had the support of my brothers and my partners and, and they took on different parts of it. But it was a huge undertaking and, and kind of, I guess, ultimately defined my career. And that was the inflection point of it being a fun hobby and a seasonal thing to this is going to be around and this is what I'm going to devote you know my life to. So take me behind the scenes a bit here. How does one procure rides for an amusement park? Yeah, so it's just as easy as Google. Uh, usedrides.com is actually an online marketplace. There's a number of other uh, online and in-person brokers. Wow. And that's, you know, even that's 18, 20 years that, that that's kind of been a big part of the process mm-hmm. in Atlantic Canada and with the short season, our operating season's about 80 days. Mm-hmm. So used rides and, and equipment that we can fix and maintain and, and carry on is really an important part of our business model. We do have some brand new attractions uh, that we've purchased over the years, but we do operate in the used and and uh, some cases nearly new uh, marketplace. But before the online marketplaces, it was in-person auctions and you would literally fly or drive to a destination, have to have trucks on standby in case you bought something because it could be 48, 72 hours that you have to get the items off of the auction site um, when a park was liquidated or whatever it might be. But now so much of it is online, working with the online marketplaces. And in some cases, the manufacturers partner with brokers and rides that come in on trade and and so over the last 34 years, we've developed relationships with a number of those people, and, and that's helped us to continue to add to our properties. So you mentioned we have three amusement parks. Yeah, Sandspit Amusement Park in Cavendish, Shining Waters Family Fun Park in Cavendish, and then uh, two of my brothers operate the Magic Mountain Complex now in, in New Brunswick. It has kind of four different components. It has a water park, a ride park, four miniature golf courses, and an arcade and a family entertainment center. So uh, Magic Mountain is a major attraction, and uh, my brother John has done a great job there. We operate a number of other attractions in the Cavendish area. So we have Cavendish Beach Adventure Zone, which is a laser tag a haunted motel, an outdoor miniature golf course, an indoor blacklight miniature golf course, an escape room, and a family entertainment center. We have the Mariner's Cove Boardwalk, which has a Ripley's Believe It or Not auditorium franchise. It has a wax museum, an outdoor mini golf course, a mining attraction, a giant maze. We have about 4,500 square foot arcade that we operate in Cavendish. And then we have a number of food outlets, uh, Beaver Tails Pastry, the uh, Dairy Bar, a couple of cafes that serve Starbucks products under uh, a license agreement there, and uh, our food service outlets in our amusement parks and at the National Park site as well, uh, Green Gables Heritage Place. And you operate uh, events such as this, the... uh the shellfish festival. Yeah, so during uh, kind of the pandemic, we had decided eight or nine years ago to bring our ticketing and our online in-house. Uh, my business partner Adam had an interest and in, and uh, you know a software engineering background to kind of take this on, 
And uh, we built our own software during the early days of COVID. It allowed us to be nimble and to implement reservations and capacity limits and contact tracing and all those things. And people started coming to us and saying, like, who's doing your ticketing? How do we get in on this? And so we made the decision to kind of bootstrap a new business, the title Event Management Systems. And so we do kind of two main things. We do online ticketing and and, and your on-site box office as a fully integrated solution. But we also do on-site spending through a digital token system. So today, I think uh, we have 13 Moneris terminals deployed on our kiosk and our box offices. And then that supports 34 points of sale inside the site. So uh, it pushes the volume through fewer Moneris terminals, but then allows the whole site then to be under our management. And so it's a, it's a neat use of technology, but it also has that event organizer-centric design to give them control over what's happening. And there's no disputes over who's selling what and, right. and what their commissions and that should be. So growing up, there was kind of four different people running and building attractions in the Cavendish area. Okay. And that's a lot. I mean, I haven't been there, I mean, yeah. but I feel like that's a small place. To it's a town, a town of 350 residents. And it's got two theme parks. Two theme parks <laughs> and it eight, sounds like the eight most, to 12 other attractions. It like, sounds like the most fun place on earth. Like. Yeah. No, I think, I, think it's, I think it's among the most fun places on earth. Okay. I think it is by far the greatest collection of family attractions in Atlantic Canada. And in many ways, okay, Canada's Wonderland is bigger. La Ronde is bigger. But you can't walk to 10 other attractions. Right. Yeah. Clifton Hill, Niagara Falls is kind of similar, but quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously a bit more of an urban environment, whereas Cavendish, you have that rural aspect. You have these amusement parks and attractions. You have the natural beauty of Cavendish Beach and the uniqueness that is there. And then you have the cultural uh, heritage of Lucy Maud Montgomery and Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. And so Cavendish is a great place to live, even whether it's seasonally or year-round. I love it there year-round. You have a national park community to basically yourself for nine months. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's a great place to invest, and, and it's certainly a great place to visit. Cavendish has been a big part of my life since my earliest memories. And uh, growing up in the campground and all of that uh, has been a, a big part of, of who I was. And when the decisions were about where to live and where to move and what career to take on, uh, the chance to stay in Prince Edward Island and to kind of do something different and do something that maybe hadn't been done before, that seasonal tourism business as a year-round job, you know, certainly appealed to me. And uh, 18 years later of doing this full-time, I, there's none of that that I would change. Up next, Matthew and his brothers have successfully grown their business over the past 20 plus years, but you know what's coming. Will they be able to survive empty theme parks or capacity restrictions? Let's find out. You're listening to Yes, We Are Open. Matthew Jelly and his brothers have built Atlantic Canada's leading operator of family attractions and maritime fund group. Their list of properties and attractions is impressive. But just like one of the roller coasters in their theme parks, 
their business is about to take a sudden drop, followed by many left turns, maybe a loop or two, or a spiral, and, well, you know what I mean. Do they lose their lunch? Let's find out. What has been your greatest struggle in the last 24 years? 24 years in ownership, and then 1990 was when I started. So, you know, 34 years in hospitality, 34 seasons in in hospitality. I mean, I think all the things that you would expect are there. You know, weather's difficult, seasonality's difficult, construction, um, building things, doing things that are a little out there roller coasters, whatever it might be. Those are all things that are things that we work through. The one thing that we never expected to deal with and we were thrust into in in the early spring of 2020 was the realization that, you know, our businesses could be closed and things that we took for granted could change and and I think you combine that with uh, your family and, and the schooling and all the things that were going on and the, the seasonality of our business and the pressure that puts and just the timeline of everything shutting down in March 2020, trying to open in June 2020. You know, those three months as far as real sleepless nights and real stress, and, and that might be cliche to say, but I mean, clearly that was yeah. the most difficult challenge of our career. Sure. But then the other side of it was... The relationships we had built, uh, the team that we had built within our office and in our organization, you guys, you're working from home, we're rebuilding our entire ticketing system to manage what the world's, what we think the world's going to look like. Marketing, you have to figure out how to pull back our investments Mm -hmm. that we're spending and because we don't know what's coming, coming tomorrow. But then you used to be trying to sell thousands of tickets a day and now you can only sell a couple hundred. HR-wise, we don't know what these things are going to look like. We don't know who's going to be able to work. We don't know who's going to be willing to work. But we need a team to try to do this. Pre-COVID, like maybe in your heyday, how many, roughly, you don't have to give exact numbers, but how many staff would you have had compared to maybe 2021? Yeah, so, t- so like 2019, we would have had uh, 350 staff in our PEI operations. Mm-hmm. But in the winter, that's down to 8 to 15, depending on the projects and stuff okay. we have going on. So it's, there's seasonal staff as well, right? Seasonal staff and yeah. year-round staff. And then you have kind of your permanent seasonal staff that might work six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of staff who work three months, a lot of staff who work six months. And then we have a smaller core group that works year round, you know, coming out of that. So 2019, we would have had 350. The summer of 2020, where we were opening under restrictions and different hours and procedures, uh, we might have had 150 people type thing. Yeah, like basically half. seven-day-a-week amusement parks were opening four days a week. And that was just trying to make sure we packed everything we could into the days that we were open. And you kind of have to ensure, with even with the reduced numbers, you want to ensure a sellout that you were getting sure. the most out of every day. And, yeah. and trying to look ahead and say, maybe Tuesday's going to rain next week. Maybe we'll sell tickets for Wednesday instead. Um, and so all the adjustments that came with that. But our team, as I say, the, the big challenges during that time, and there was a lot, was mostly then overcome with the gratitude of how our team came together and took on the task and that we did 
get together to serve our guests and we did stay open. There was a lot of challenges. There was a lot of sleepless nights. There was a lot of stress. My partner being in healthcare meant that she had a whole other group of concerns. And some days I probably should have felt more guilty about being concerned about financing or hand-washing rules when, you know, she was dealing with much different stress at the hospital. But, you know, for my employees and for my community, we didn't know what was coming next. We didn't know if businesses could open. We didn't know if people would come. We didn't know what the winter was going to bring and how long the financial supports and that would be there. You know, looking back, it doesn't even like how we made it through. And and, like a lot of it doesn't make sense right now when you look back at it. Um, And if you knew what you knew now, what would you do different? But the whole idea that businesses could be shut for weeks, months, just doesn't compute in anything that we had done for planning before then. Like normal financial planning for a tourism attraction might be up or down 5, 10, 15% would be your sensitivity analysis. It would never be 80% down and what that looks like. And, and that's, so that's, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. When you, when you can only sell a quarter as many tickets as you could and you had, you were only open for three or four days and you were only open for eight weeks instead of 12 weeks. Like that's what we dealt with for 2020. We were down 80% for 2021, you know, maybe we got half that back. And then by 2022, we were back to quote unquote normal. Can you describe a little bit of the feeling, you know, when you were able to finally open the parks up full time again and have full staff and and see full gates? So I think there's two different scenarios to that. I think there's the when we first opened under the restrictions and that, we were so proud of what we had come through and that we had done it. Mm-hmm. And then it was complaints about, well, why do I have to book ahead? Or why is that attraction closed? Or why can't we do that? And why are these rules, you know, why are you guys doing these things? And it's like, without these, we don't open. So we took a few lumps. And by the second week, it was, we're so glad you're open. It's so mm-hmm. glad we can get out and do something normal as a family. Yeah. And then the, wow, we like it. There's no lineups. So, you know, so then we're going to explain that we hope that changes sometime. But by 2022, you know, that's actually when COVID hit Prince Edward Island. So PEI had been so isolated in a bubble and in the Atlantic bubble. And, and so our first experience with exposures and staff uh, absences was our opening month uh, and school groups, particularly in June 2022. And scrambling and dealing with people and, and isolations and all that all through 2022. So business was back to normal. Attendance was back to normal. But our operations were a, a mess at that point of Sandspit's opening week. Seven of my eight top managers were off. And so me and this other manager were running the park for school days, which, you know, the fact I, I'm still involved in operations and I can still figure most things out. And that's a week that's all hands on deck. There's graduations going on, there's staff coming and going, you're training new staff. It was a really hard time. And so 2022 was nothing near normal. Uh, this year, 2023, there wasn't that uncertainty about what was going to happen. We had a relatively clear outlook and it felt normal. But whether it's 2020, 21, 22, 23, that first day, that we go from 280 days of prep work Mm -hmm. to kids on a roller coaster never gets old. And I don't know that it felt any different in 23 than it did in 2020 or 21 or 22. The reason why we work so hard all winter 
is for that day when we stop being set up and tear down organization and we yeah. become operations and you hear kids laugh and you see them running around with their friends in their school group and you realize why you do it and why our whole team does it. Uh, where our office is, the whir of the roller coaster at Shining Waters is noticeable in the background. Mm-hmm. Our staff never know in the office when the first run of the roller coaster is going to go, for even for testing earlier in June. Mm-hmm. And the first time you hear it make a full turn, the whole mood changes in the office. But we were actually in the process of getting verified on Moneris to have uh, what we call tethered terminals mm-hmm. to our in-house develop point of sales system that then later graduated to become our, our ticketing and event company. You know, that was a crucial change for us and gave us a whole lot of flexibility and, and changed our internal processes and kind of started our digital transformation. That certification process was really important to us, um, I think that you know they supported us there was no new credit rules or anything that came in during the pandemic so i think all that was very supportive but for us yeah it's the convenience and reliability that they gave us of being our one-stop solution the fact that we have a human account manager that we call that lives in our greater community here in the maritime provinces is crucial to us exactly. monica chapman so when we when we work with other people and other payment providers call us, it's do you have a human and does that human live in Atlantic Canada? And if the answer is no, we're not even going to have a conversation. For us, uh, having a human and a great human, Monica has been a great support to our business, has been a huge difference for us. And until there's changes in that, we wouldn't be looking anywhere else. Coming up after the break, we find out what the future holds for Maritime Fund Group. Success in business doesn't come without moments of struggle. Moments when you had to face your challenges head on. As the proud partner of Canadian business, Moneris plays a critical role in empowering businesses with the payment processing tools they need to succeed. Together, we are building stronger businesses where business owners everywhere can stand up to their challenges without slowing down. Moneris, proud partner of Canadian business. Welcome back to Yes, We Are Open. With business finally returning to normal this year for Maritime Fund Group, Matthew and his brothers can once again start looking at the future of the business. What does that future look like? Let's find out. It looks like things are kind of back to normal. Business, as anyways, back to normal. In terms of your employee count, are you back to the same level? We're actually higher than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hired uh, this year. The, the labor market has changed the last number of years. Mm-hmm. We had more part-time staff this year, so the number's higher. Mm-hmm. We also acquired a campground, so we took on right. 30, 35 new tourism professionals in that transaction. We are looking to expand and grow our campground. We have a huge renovation going on at the Sandspit Amusement Park. We're now planning one at Shining Waters. We added new rides at each of our three parks over the last two years. And so the outlook is good. We're, we're looking to grow, even with interest rates a little higher, commercial construction companies and that are starting to have a little more capacity. So some of the projects that we had put off between COVID and between material shortages are now being accelerated. Sandspit's entering its 40th year of operations. And so we're in the process of a three-year multi-phase renovation to kind of rebuild the core of the park. All the things that went in 40 years ago when it was a small bumper boat pond and go-kart track in Cavendish and now it's grown into a full attraction you know our water pipes need to be bigger our electrical connections need to be bigger 
and our property was built in the bottom of a of a shale pit and it floods a little bit so we got to build it up a little so we've got a major project there we actually poured cement around a new bumper boat pool today and that's kind of going to be a centerpiece project of this three-year renovation but it's an exciting time there and with some trepidation you have an amusement park that's been beloved for 40 years you need to continue to change and to improve and to make sure it's going to last the next 40 years but that means making changes to things that people hold very close to their heart and you know i've been kind of the guiding force of sandspit for the last 25 28 years you know so i think I know what needs to be done and how it should be done, but it's a big responsibility to have and not one that I take lightly. My nephew has taken a leadership role in the company, and I think you know he's going to be well positioned to move things forward. We have kind of a great senior group now of young uh, operations managers and uh, maintenance staff and that. And so I think the future's bright. I think my goal over the next couple of years and even starting this year is to be a manager and a leader and a little less of the guy who opens the doors and collects the caches. Um, and so I'm going to be trying to do more strategic development and leadership and, and lean on my operations team. But... I can still make an ice cream faster than than anybody else on the team, and I can count a cash pretty fast too. So uh, I'll always be involved, but my brother has taken on more in our food operations as well, and that's been a huge help. And so I think getting me the adage of working on the business, not in the business, is something that I have to change my approach. And, And I think for us to grow and to potentially look at growing outside of our geographic centers now requires me to have a different focus. We are the the largest operator of attractions uh, in in, uh, Atlantic Canada. So I think for us to to continue to look for opportunities for growth is there. I think the the move into camping with us has been a game changer. I think it's a great industry for families. I think it's a great industry for us. And I think we have a lot to offer. And so I think we're going to be looking for ways to grow. And so that's geographically going to mean that we need to spread a little wider. And it means we have to adapt a little that I have to build and develop local teams that can, can manage things while I move around. What about outside Atlantic Canada? I got an email the other day with an opportunity somewhere uh, else in Canada. We, we've played roles with national and, and, and North American wide groups. Uh, I'm on the Tourism Ministry Association of Canada board now. Uh-huh. But from a business point of view, Maritimes are home. And I think running our businesses better in the maritime provinces is a great goal for this generation. Mm -hmm. And if uh, the next generation thinks they can go further afield, then that'll be for them. But I think for me, three or four hour drives enough. I'm immensely proud of what we do and and what we have done and and what I think we can continue to do. I think our businesses are tremendously important to our community. I think they're great assets to the community and I think it's important to me that they remain that way and that's why we reinvest, that we build an organization that sustains and that if I'm unable or, you know, not here to continue things, that everybody wakes up the next day and the attractions are still open and families are still being entertained. And so a lot of what we've done has been because my brothers and I have been so hands-on and and so we need to make that transition and nobody more so than myself. 
you know, when you're in the attractions industry, you can see it as a job, but you can also see it through the eyes of our customers, where it's something they look forward to all year. They might only come to the park once every couple of years. And you know you get to be with them with their most memorable day of the summer, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, your, your and, main and product the, is fun. Isn't our, it? our in our case, our middle name is fun. Yeah. Our main product is fun. Uh, you know, in order to do that, you have to focus on safety, friendliness, cleanliness, and those are our founding principles. But at the end of the day, we have a chance to have people coming in in a good mood, deliver them a great day, leave happy. And, uh, you know, we don't have to pull any rabbits out of the hat. It, it really is just about uh, keeping that momentum going. Matt, is Maritime's Fun Group open? Yes, we are open. That's the story of Maritime Fun Group. Now, I'm not much of a rides person. You couldn't pay me enough to get on a roller coaster, but I love this story. From contentious games of Monopoly between brothers, to paper routes, to summers in Cavendish working at amusement parks and road trips down to Disney, to that paper route paying for trailers to rent and those rentals leading to buying a water park leading to, well, the rest. The story of Matthew's childhood is such a wholesome one. You could swear it came straight from a Lucy Maud Montgomery novel, if she were around today. It's no wonder that the business he and his brothers ended up in was that of amusement and attractions and making people happy. I could feel how important family was to Matthew. My only regret during this trip east is that I didn't get a chance to visit Cavendish to see all the attractions. I have Hurricane Lee to thank for that. I hope to remedy that soon, and you'd better believe the next time I'm out there, it won't be for work, and I'll have my family in tow. Gotta make those memories for my kids. And I'll be visiting more than a few of those Maritime Fun Group properties. I'm sure there's a lazy river in there somewhere. That's more my speed anyway. Yes, We Are Open is a Moneris podcast production. I'd like to thank Matthew for taking the time to share his story. You can learn more about Maritime Fun Group at MaritimeFun.com. Follow them on Facebook and YouTube at Maritime Fun Group. On Instagram and Twitter, they're at Maritime Fun PEI. Please support this podcast by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Canadian small business owner or know of one with an interesting story of perseverance to tell, I'd love to help tell it. You can contact me at podcast at Moneris.com. And that does it for another season. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank everyone on the Moneris Marcom team for their help and support in putting this season together. There are too many to name, so please check the show notes for their names. I'd like to also thank the amazing merchants who welcomed me to their place of business and allowed me to tell their stories this season. Ocean Quest Adventures, Lane Gallery, Bradford Academy of Music, Torpedo Rays, Anin, Striker's Den, Tech Fuel, and Maritime Fun Group. Please support them by supporting their business. Production on Season 6 will begin in the spring, so expect a whole new season of small Canadian businesses and their stories by April of 2024. Keep an eye on this feed. I'll post updates as Season 6 approaches. And finally, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening, subscribing, and spreading the word. Your support has once again helped this podcast earn nominations for Outstanding Branded Series and Outstanding Production for a Series by the Canadian Podcast Awards. Winners will be announced in December, but I already counted as a win to be named among the other nominees. So a huge thank you to all of our listeners. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. 
On behalf of all of us at Moneris, sincerely thank you for listening to the Yes We Are Open podcast. I'm Al Grego. See you in season six. Bye.